Uh, happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Uh, yeah. You, you should have uh, received a pack of gum on the way in, and if you didn't, uh, there's plenty of leftovers, so grab one on the way out. Um, or if you have a dad, you can grab one on the way out, because I think we bought about 500 for the 50 or so dads in here, so. <laughs> Sweetie, is that an over, that's a little bit of exaggeration? All right, my wife uh, purchased quite a few packs of gum, so uh, feel free to grab one, give one to your dad. Um, Father's Day is, is, is one of those interesting holidays along with Mother's Day where you can't just reply to somebody when they give you the, uh, the statement, hey, happy Father's Day. You can't just say, hey, you too. I like the holidays where you can say that, you know, Christmas, thing, somebody says, Merry Christmas. Yeah, you too. And uh, I, the same thing happened to me at uh, Don Pablo's when I was a server. I'd, uh, I'd go around and I'd, I'd give them their food, I'd lay it all out there for them and I'd say, enjoy your meal. And they'd say, you too. It's like... I'm not eating here, you're the one eating, but uh, no, I, uh, I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, just say thanks to, to my dads. I have two of them. Um, my father-in-law is back there, and my dad, who's been me with the whole journey, all 28 years, is back there as well. Um, if I had to choose one word to describe these men, it's just hardworking. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So thankful for the, for the, uh, the character that God has placed in them and uh, how hard they work to serve our families. Like, if we were ever called to the mission field, it would have to come with a simultaneous call to, my par to our parents to have them come along with. That's how dependent we are on our parents. So, uh, I love you guys. And I'm actually a dad. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm a dad. Those are, uh, those are my two sons there. Drew's, Drew is on the left, and Isaac is in the middle. And uh, that's us planting Isaac's tree. We planted a tree in... When both of them were born, we uh, planted a tree. Uh, I guess we're a little bit concerned that this tree, it's a kind of an evergreen tree, and we're worried that it's going to get cut down sometime. I mean, we live in the city. I mean, somebody's going to grab it as a Christmas tree. We're a little bit concerned about that. But uh, those are my boys. There's another picture of them uh, in San Diego when we went to, uh, isn't that? Uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> we loved it so much, we actually framed it and put it up in our bathroom. Now, if you were able to somehow get around them, and, and stand in the water and look back at them, you'd understand the full story of this picture. They had been without naps. Okay, this is like as the sun's going down, they had been without naps. It had been a long day of traveling around San Diego and sightseeing. And so actually in this picture, what you, what you see is not, oh, but them wailing. I mean, they are literally both just in tears right now. Just in tears. But we liked the picture, so we put it up in, <laughs> in our bathroom. <laughs> so, um, but I love, I love my boys. It's, uh, it's such a privilege to be a dad. And I've learned so much about God the Father and how he relates to us uh, through them. So happy Father's Day to, I'll just say to all of you, I'll make the mistake. Hey, happy Father's Day. Hey, to all of you. Great. For those of you who are uh, new to Hope or are here with a friend or family member, they drug you here, we are in the middle of a series um, on the book of John, and we're in the second part of it. It's entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? Meeting Jesus Christ Through His Signs and Ministry, and this is going to be all the way through chapter 12. And we're actually in chapter 5 right now, and I'm kind of the third part in this chapter 5 story. The first uh, two weeks ago, Steve talked about an invalid. 
And he had been that way for years and years and years, 38 years. And Jesus essentially goes over to him and says, hey, pick up your mat and walk. And it happens. Jesus has the authority to do something like that. It happened. The guy was healed. And what we, what we learned, as Steve talked about, is that Jesus was trying to pick a fight with some religious leaders. He didn't reveal himself to this, to this invalid in any other way than by then healing him. He didn't say you need, at this point, he hadn't said, hey, you got you to gotta get rid of the sin thing. Come to me. I'll forgive your sins. Didn't do that. He essentially healed him, told him to pick up his mat and walk, and that really rubbed the religious leaders the wrong way trying to pick a fight with them. And last week, Steve uh, took it from there and talked about how Jesus revealed himself to the religious leaders. Picking up in verse 15 of chapter 5, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Do you hear the irony in that? Here is a guy who has met God himself, who's been healed for 38 years. He's been a beggar, crippled, invalid, and he's healed. But because it's on the Sabbath, because he's told to pick up his mat and walk, the religious leaders want to persecute Jesus. And another reason, if that weren't enough, Jesus answered them, my father is working in town now, and I too am working this is why all the more the Jews were seeking to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which is a big deal, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Stephen shared a quote about how this day, essentially this day, Jesus just signed his death sentence. To do something of that magnitude in this kind of religious culture, just signing his death sentence. And the religious leaders are going to want to come to him and tell him why he's wrong and put him in his place. And Jesus turns the situation upside down. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's great literature. But it's real and it's true. Listen to some of these things. Jesus essentially in in John chapter 5 verses 19 to 29 reveals that he is God, that he has authority, essentially saying, hey, I don't know if you know this yet, but I'm kind of a big deal. All right? Verse 19, he says, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Everything the Father does, I do that thing too. Verse 20, the Father loves the Son and shows shows him all that he is doing. Now we're going to see in verses 37 and 38 that these religious leaders do not see what God is doing, don't know his voice. And Jesus says to them, he loves me and he shows me what he's doing. Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them to life, so also the Son gives life to all whom he will. Verses 22 and 23, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. I mean, each of them, he's just nailing them. I have authority. I'm God. I'm a big deal. And then verse 23, flips around, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Verse 24, keeps going. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I have the power, the capacity to give eternal life. Verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Keeps going. Verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so also the Son has life in himself. Essentially, just look at the similarities. Look at the parallels. I'm just like the Father. Verse 27, he is given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
And that, might, that word son of man, that title might not mean a lot to you, but to them it meant a ton. If you go back to Daniel 7, the ancient of days, the son of man who has authority and dominion and a kingdom, Jesus is saying, that's me. Are you getting it yet? Verse 28 and 29, those in the tombs will hear his voice. He's saying, my voice. They will come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Do you see how essential and how, how closely I am uh, related to the Father? I and the Father are one. Ten different times in these ten verses, he just compares how he is essentially like his dad. And I just listed out a couple ways I'm like my dad. In honor of Father's Day. Uh, he's passed on the gift, and it is a gift. It's beautiful. It's, a, it's one of the best gifts he ever handed down. If, if we lay down, or is it lie down? English people, lie, lie down. If we lie down anywhere, within literally seconds, we can be asleep. And that is a gift. It is beautiful. I love it. I actually noticed this. It was like probably, it's probably about a year and a half ago now. I don't know why it struck me as so crazy, but I looked down at my shoes as I was driving, and I didn't see my feet. I saw my dad's feet. I'm like, those are my dad's feet. The way my feet just kind of like went out a little bit, it's like, that's my dad. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and then when we have something that's kind of a, a familial thing. When, you know, when you've done something good and you know it, you just, you know it, you do one of these. <sighs> <laughs> and that's just, I mean, I'm my dad in so many ways. And it's just, it's just going to keep going, getting bigger as my kids grow older. I know it's coming. I know the time is coming when I'm going to yell at Drew and Isaac, if you want to fight, go outside. And that was always to my brothers and I, if you want to fight, go outside. And I know it's coming. But in the same way that I'm so much like my dad, Jesus in this passage that Steve talked about last week, he's just saying, look at me. If you see me, you see my dad. If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. We're so alike. And now as we get to this week, as we get to this week, Jesus says, if that's not enough, if that's not enough for you, the, ten, the top ten reasons why I am God's son, if that's not enough for you, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to bring witnesses, witnesses that you are familiar with. J.B., John the Baptist, Moses, and the Scriptures. These are people that you know who know me. Picking up in verse 30 of chapter 5. You can grab a pew Bible. It'll be up on the screen. John chapter 5, verse, beginning in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, he's saying, as I hear the Father, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me, the Father. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Deemed true. It is true. All right, when the Son of God, the Son of Man, gives testimony of himself, it's true. But in their perception, in these, the eyes of the religious leaders, it's not deemed true. And so he, he gives in to them. There is another who bears witness about me. If you won't take my own testimony, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. In this culture, in this context, this religious framework, having somebody give testimony or witness to you was a big deal. There was a, a phrase that, uh, so there's, there's all these different religious rabbis. 
And then these rabbis would get disciples in this time. And there was a phrase that, that Rob Bell pointed out. Rob Bell's a guy out in uh, Mars Hill in Detroit. Is it Detroit? It's in Michigan. Um, he, he, there's this phrase that says, may you be, that for the disciples, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May, may you be so closely following your rabbi that the dust of his sandals will be kicked up on you. But it's important that when these guys spoke that they'd speak essentially in the name of the rabbi that, hey, I'm studying under this guy and that's how you know that my testimony, that my witness is true. I'm speaking this guy. That's how I have authorities through this guy. And so it was a big deal in this culture and it's still kind of important in our culture. I want to give you an example. We have a friend, Nathan Ziegler, and he is a, a teacher in South Minneapolis and he has a range of diversity, a range of cultures in his classroom and he has worked hard to build bridges and to uh, get through walls to connect with these students. He wants to and he's tried a number of things. He does a great, uh, he's, he's a great illusionist and that really connects with the kids. He's done such things as like um, creating a math team and he's, he's brought the math team over for dinner to meet Tennille and his kids. And um, what was the other thing that he just did? Oh, he does, he created a news thing. So these kids after school can come together and put a news program together and do everything from the, the editing of it and the putting together the stories and writing them and then actually getting it on film. Uh, one of the things he did recently this year was he, he, he's, a, he's a math teacher and so he was gonna try and find a creative way that they could collect data. So he had this thing called Data Days and they essentially put together some way that they would collect data and then invite people to a carnival where they all kind of had their things. So like how many shots you could get in a minute and then they would collect all this data and then report on it. Well, Nathan used it as another opportunity to try and build connections and so he invited a bunch of his friends. He invited Ben Johnson, he invited me, I wasn't able to go, Ben went, and Steve Carlisle, who's uh, his brother, who's an African-American guy, and a couple other people, just Nathan's friends that they could see kind of what he's doing and work it all out. Well, later that week, the kids ask, you know, who were these people? Who were they that all came? We didn't meet them all. Can you explain who was who? And so he's like, yeah, I got this Ben. You know Ben, he's the tall guy, yeah, blonde hair. That was Ben, he's my friend. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they say, well, Who's that guy? Oh, that, that guy's Steve Carlisle. Steve's an African-American guy. It's his brother-in-law. Um, Steve married Nathan's sister. And they kind of, hey, this is Nathan. That's, that's your brother-in-law? Like, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. And one kid, it, his line is hilarious. He had, he had grown so close to Nathan. Nathan had done such a good job of relating to him and building bridges that the kid responded, when he heard that Steve, this African-American guy, was his brother, he said, he said to Nathan, I always knew you were part black. <laughs> you know? Here this kid had seen all the ways that Nathan related to him, the way that he worked towards building a relationship with him, but the testimony of Steve, Carl, Steve Carlisle, African-American brother-in-law, you know, gave weight and gave testimony, gave witness to Nathan being, being the guy that he is, and so it really helped. It helped in the culture of Jesus' time, and it helps in our time, having somebody that gives witness or gives testimony. Picking up in verse 33, who was Jesus, who gave witness to Jesus? You sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Again, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I don't want the lack of a, of a, a witness or a testimony to prevent you from being saved. And so I'll give you that. I'll give you John the Baptist. And so if you go back to 
parts of chapter 1. He came as a witness to the light. He says, I'm not worthy to untie the thongs of the guy who's coming next, Jesus. And so in, in different places, different times, John the Baptist gives witness to Jesus being the Messiah. He says to him, I shouldn't need a guy like Steve Carlisle, but if that's what it takes, look at John the Baptist. He goes on in verse 35, talking about John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. We used to talk uh, in past sermons that John the Baptist was kind of a rock star. He's just kind of the man of that time. And Jesus is saying, you were willing to rejoice in his light, but guess what? He wasn't the main act. I am. He's a part of my entourage. He's an opening act. I'm the big dog. I'm coming next. I'm coming on at 9 o'clock. Not, not 6.30. Not 3.30 as people are still getting home from work. I'm the big show. Verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has, bor has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. The Father bears witness. But then he says, I know you haven't heard his voice or seen his form. It's like some of the religious leaders must have been thinking, well, thanks a lot, Jesus. <laughs> You're asking us to believe in a witness who we've not seen or heard. It's like, thanks a lot. But the piece that he says is, the works that I am doing bear witness. Did you not see the invalid get up and walk? Did you not see that? I'm telling you certain things. I've given you the top 10 reasons to believe on the Son of Man. And then I've given you proof, reasons to believe it, things you can see. You can see the man walk. You can hear his words, his testimony about what has happened to him. If you're not going to believe what I say, see what I do. Believe me because of what I do. I'm amazed that people, like, the gift that musicians have, like, I'm just, I'm so impressed with people that can play an instrument. You know, I did the trombone for, like, struggled at it for, like, a year, year and a half, and hung it up. It's just... But people that are so gifted, and to play multiple instruments. We have several in this body that can play multiple instruments. I'm so impressed. Highland, I'm going to pick on you. If you look at Highland, okay, can you stand up so the people on the lower deck can see you? Do you know Highland? <laughs> You're not supposed to applaud it. At his <laughs> okay. He, if you look at him, you wouldn't think, this guy can play... Four instruments, or whatever it is. I mean, you look at him, and he's just like, I don't know, average, average Highland guy, you know? <laughs> just like any other Highland that you'd see on the street. But then he gets over the piano, and he goes crazy, or he gets up behind the drums, and he goes crazy. Like, if you were to tell me that he was a musician before I met him, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. And then he gets up, and he does it. Not by what he said that he's a musician, but by what he's done. And it's the same thing with Jesus. It's like... Here are my words, and now look what I've done. Giving you proof. Picking up in verse 39, if John the Baptist weren't enough, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you, you, refu- sorry, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. What an indictment against the religious leaders, the big shots, the people who are supposed to know it all and have it all together. Like the offering song said, aimless. These are the aimless guys. Highlighting three of them, you refuse to come to me, God, to have life. Jesus, by, by his own interpretation of them, says, I can see that you do not have the love of God abiding in your heart. And you do not receive me. You do not receive me. What an indictment on the religious leaders. And then maybe even worse, it continues, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What what an indictment. If core comes in his name, you're more likely to receive core than Jesus Don't do that, Hope. (laughs) Do not. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God, from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. John the Baptist, the Scriptures, Moses. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you will believe my words? Kind of the interpretation here, it doesn't seem like he's pointing to any one prophecy, any one sentence, any one verse in the Old Testament that Moses spoke. It says writings, so I'm thinking more generally, what Moses' writings were is essentially a pointer to me. And so if you really knew what Moses was talking about, if you understood his writings... If you really believed Moses, you'd believe me. You'd receive me. In, verse, uh, in chapter 9, verse 28, it becomes painfully clear where these religious leaders are at. They point blank say to a man who has just been healed of blindness, we are disciples of Moses. I just want to ask you frankly, are you a follower of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you, are you following him? Not Steve Treichler, not necessarily your small group leader. We all want to just be pointers to the king. We want to be pointers to Jesus Christ. Listen to some of the criticism that Jesus levels at these religious leaders. Do, do not marvel at the works of Jesus Christ. They do not marvel at the works of Jesus Christ. As I read through these, is this a criticism that Jesus could level against you? That you don't marvel at the works of of his hand? If so, start marveling. There's so much to marvel at. He is so beautiful, and the things that he's doing in this world are so incredible. Here's another criticism. He criticizes them for marveling at the fact that he's called the Son of Man. He says, I don't want you to marvel at that. (laughs) I just want you to know that. (laughs) Because it's true. 
I've got another criticism. That they do not receive the testimony of Jesus so that they might be saved. Is that a, is that a boat you're in this morning? That you're not receiving the, the words of Jesus? Another criticism. That you do not believe in the one whom God has sent. This is the one whom God has sent. It may be so tempting to follow some other way, some other means. Make God out to be something else. But he said the Son of Man must be lifted up. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. Religious leaders, you refuse to come to Jesus to have life. Religious leaders, you do not receive Jesus in the name of the Father. They're so close in so many ways. They know John the Baptist. They know Moses. They know the scriptures. They're so close. But no cigar. I just found out the meaning of that, that that kind of originated in the 40s and 50s, that they actually used to give cigars out at state fairs if you'd win. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> but, but these other guys are like, you're so close. You're right there. And if I had to put us in a camp of people in New Testament... Hope community, we, are, we, are we like them? Are we close to these people? Could we be compared to them? That we come to church on a Sunday morning, maybe we read our Bible, but there's not been transformation? I hope we're praying against that daily. And instead we're seeking intimacy with God, seeking to do His will. I told you earlier that uh, having, having boys has changed my life, and it has. And my relationship with God has changed dramatically in a sense that I feel like I'm at some levels better able to understand what God desires. And if I had to put it into a picture, it, it was what happened when I was holding Isaac right back there before I came up here. I had him, and he was kind of playing with the microphone. And then he kind of smiled at me. And he rubbed his eyes and he just nestled in. He just nestled in under my neck. And it just makes me melt. That's all I desire. You're shaking your head. You don't need to be a superstar. You don't need to achieve it all. But you nestle in. You come in. And I feel like that's the call this morning. That our God is inviting us to nestle into God. Whatever that looks like in your life, it, it's probably different. As many people are in this room, it's different for all of us. What does nestling in to God look like? On Father's Day, I don't know what your earthly father has been like. I've been blessed with a couple great ones. And I thank God for that. Maybe you don't have that same experience. But the Father is welcoming you through Jesus Christ to nestle in Reading the, uh, the piece of the prodigal son, I feel like it's just appropriate on this day. Prodigal son essentially just wishes his dad was dead so he could have his inheritance. He, his dad gives it to him. And then he goes and he just spoils, on, just spoils it on wild living. And then the son comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? 
but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. If you're running the wrong way, if you're running from the Father, maybe this morning, right now, as I pray, turn around and run to Him and nestle into His arms. Let's pray. Father, I admit... um, Of all the people in this room, I might be the worst at nestling into your arms. God, I think we're all really good at making excuses. But yet the invitation is so appealing. How can we resist? Your arms are open wide. You're literally like the father in this story. You're running to us. God, help us to nestle. That our faith wouldn't be dependent upon John the Baptist or the Scriptures or Moses necessarily. We'd have that one-to-one heart relationship with you. By your Spirit, God, help us. Help us to do this and not resist you. In Jesus' name, amen.